Let us just all cry out. It's a beautiful thing when your soul genuinely does cry out for the living God and you want him more than anything else, more than anything else in this world, then you're on the path to victory and freedom. I'll tell you, that's, that's our goal here at BCC. We get there, then you're experiencing a little bit of heaven before you actually get there. Hmm? Uh, in two weeks, we are going to be celebrating baptism. And that's always an awesome time. And we, you know, generally do it here now. And you'll say, well, why do we do it here? We do it here uh, because um, I I don't think there's anything more powerful to see than, you know, you actually see someone. Because it's very humbling to, you know, be dunked in the water and then brought back up. Uh, and, And you're doing it in front of people. There's just something that's very humbling about that. But what you're really doing is you're you're testifying to people that Jesus Christ has really entered your life. You're, you're leaving the world and you're now following him. And I'll tell you, that's a powerful, powerful witness to people who are watching it. So if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but you've never been baptized. Yeah, you know, you know one person who doesn't want you to do it? Uh, sounded like tongues, all right? Just, can just, I need an interpreter. huh? Satan doesn't want you to do it. Of course he doesn't want you to do that. So he's going to give you every reason. He's going to plant fear within you not to do it. But Jesus said that's his first commandment. If you place your faith and trust in him, then he says you bring me great glory by being baptized. So if you have not been baptized, please see me or you can see Tom. I don't know where Tom is. He's in the back. Just call the church office. But uh, we're going to be having a class uh, next Sunday after the service here. So uh, look forward to that. Well, there's this old superstition from the East, and uh, this superstition claims that it can predict a child's future. According to the superstition, when the child's like a toddler, you place three objects on a table within the child's reach. The first thing you place on the table is a Bible. The second thing you place on the table is money. And the third thing that you place on the table is a bottle of wine. And according to the superstition... When the toddler comes up to the table, if he grabs the Bible, well, then that means he's going to have a religious vocation of some kind. If he grabs the money, that means he's going to be a businessman or an entrepreneur, something like that. And if he grabs the bottle of wine, well, I hate to tell you this, but hedonism's in the cards for that child. So there was this father, and he was very excited, very wanting to know what his child's future was going to be. So he laid out the three objects on his coffee table, and then he released Junior. And Junior slowly made his way to the coffee table. He surveyed the whole area first, and then little Junior picked up the Bible. That's pretty good. But then, several seconds later, Junior picked up the cash, crammed it inside the Bible... And then Junior grabbed the bottle of wine, and he slowly toddled off. Now, the grandfather was watching this thing. He was off to the side, and he was watching this thing unfold. And he saw his own son kind of horrified at what had just transpired. And the grandfather said, this is terrible. This is horrible. The boy's going to be a politician. (laughs) And, you know, as, as I thought about that joke, I said, God help us. We don't need another politician, do we? We do not need another politician. But I'll tell you what we do need. What we are in desperate need of are people that have integrity. No, no. 
This country's in desperate need of people who have integrity. We're going to see this morning, if you are going to stand up and defeat Satan, you need to have integrity. I need to have integrity. So this morning, we're going to continue our study in the book of Ephesians. We're going to continue in that last section on spiritual warfare. And we're going to have communion this morning. And so I've entitled the message this morning, Integrity. Integrity. Lord, I think it's... Maybe a message of the moment, a message of the hour. The need for integrity. And it's extremely important when it comes to dealing with Satan. That's why so many of us are defeated, because we don't have integrity. And so, as we set up communion, I just pray, Holy Spirit, now that you'll come. And I know you've been here, and I thank you for the worship. I thank you for all of our worship teams. They're such a blessing, each and every one of them. And I thank you for them, Lord. But now we're headed to your word. And I ask that your word this morning would cut. Not to leave us bleeding to death, but cut bringing conviction, which would lead to repentance and tremendous healing as we partake of communion. So I just thank you what you're going to accomplish now. And I just praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And we all kind of get some laughs. I was hearing some chuckles out of this. And you know why we get some laughs out of it? Because it's probably too close for comfort, isn't it? We've probably been all involved in things like this. And I just want you to realize that we open ourselves up. We, when we act in an unrighteous manner, we're going to watch it, see this. When we act in a dishonest way, we open not only ourselves, but our families up tr- tremendous satanic attack. For the last couple of weeks, we have seen that we are in a war. We are in a serious war. The war is over our souls. Satan seeks to destroy your soul. God also seeks your soul, but he seeks to heal it. He seeks to bring it life so that you and I can live in freedom. And you need to realize that this is an incredible, incredible battle. This is the great battle of life. And God, though, has not left the believer defenseless. We've seen that God has given the believer supernatural armor to deal with the supernatural foe, Satan. And I want to just say, if you've missed any of these messages up to this point, you can just go to the Bethlehem Community Church website. You hit sermons, and you can either listen to it on podcast, or you can watch it on video. This morning, before we have communion, we are going to look at the second piece of armor that God supplies the believer. So Skip, if you can put up Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14, we're going to see the second piece. It says, stand your ground, Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Last week we saw that the first piece of equipment, interestingly enough, is truth. Truth is the first piece. It is an essential piece. You say, why is it an essential piece? Because it's like kryptonite to Satan. You know why truth is like kryptonite to Satan? I mean, it just disables him. It disarms him. It renders him vulnerable. He cannot move because, you see, Satan's chief weapon is the lie. Truth always triumphs over lies. Truth will always triumph over the lie. So that's why he starts out with truth. Now he moves to the second piece, the body armor of God's righteousness. Skip, can you put up the picture? 
When it comes to a Roman soldier, obviously the breastplate was extremely important to the Roman soldier because it protected his vital organs. And I want you to know that the breastplate of righteousness is extremely important to the believer because it gives you and I the power to stay on the right path, the righteous path, the true path. It's the narrow path, Jesus says, but it does lead to freedom, right? It does lead to freedom. And so this piece of armor here, the breastplate of righteousness, is essential if you and I are going to be victorious. Now, the kind of the intriguing thing, if you, you know, look at commentaries and you study the Bible, you'll see a lot of people interpret the breastplate of righteousness in a positional sense. You know what I mean by that? What I mean by that is if you're truly born again and you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then an amazing thing happens. Jesus, you're not only forgiven of your sins, but Jesus' righteousness is imputed to you. His perfection is imputed to you. I want to kind of just, you know, uh, examine this a little bit more. When Jesus Christ was crucified, most of you know that he was crucified between two thieves. Skip, can you put up that picture? We are told that those two thieves, we surmise that these were not good men. They were murderers. They were blasphemers. They were robbers. They were thugs. In anyone's book, they were bad to the bone. They were not good men. In fact, Dr. Luke in his gospel, tells us of a conversation that Jesus has with the two thieves. Skip, can you put up those verses in Luke chapter 23? It says this, Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him, that is Jesus. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Isn't this amazing? For they know not what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leader scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened to the cross just above him with these words. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside Jesus scoffed at him. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it. Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you are at it. Now watch this. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even now when you've been sentenced to die. We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, today you will be with me in paradise. That is an amazing portion of scripture to me. And my question to you is this. How is it possible for a total reprobate, a man who is wicked and wanted, how is it possible for him to be in heaven? Jesus said to one of the thieves on the cross today, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you are going to be in heaven. How is it possible on anyone's scoring of good and bad, is it possible for any one of these thieves to be in heaven? And you know what the surprising answer is? No one is righteous enough to enter heaven. Not even Mother Teresa. No one is righteous enough to enter heaven. In fact, 
Jesus said this in his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. He writes this. Listen to what Jesus said because it's absolutely critical. Skip, can you put up Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48? It says this. We'll just do it from memory. Jesus said, in order for you to get into heaven, in order for anyone to get into heaven, you must be as perfect as the heavenly Father is perfect. Anyone here perfect? Anyone here even close to perfect? You know, many of you know... uh, that I participate in what's known as the Jesus Soda Survey or the Jesus Pop Quiz. In fact, we had, one, we had two yesterday. Did you know that? We were in Kosaki. There it is. We were in Kosaki. And we were also up north uh, in uh, uh, Malta area, I think, or Glenville or something like that. And, you know, when I get in a conversation with someone, I invariably will quote Matthew 5.48. I'll say, you know, do you realize that in order for you to get into heaven, you have to be as perfect as God is perfect? Is anybody here? Are you perfect? You know, I, I will ask them that. I say, you see, the benchmark for you to get into heaven is not are you more righteous? Are you better than Adolf Hitler? A lot of people, you know, you're going to get a straw man. The, the benchmark to get into heaven is, are you, are you better than your jerk boss? Are you better than their slob of a neighbor? See, that's not the benchmark. We all can find someone that we are better than. I always tell them, the benchmark to get into heaven is that you have to be perfect. And I will, again, ask them, are you perfect? And, you know, here's the scary thing. Do you know, as I've been doing the Jesus Soda survey, there are a fair number of people who say, yes, I am. <laughs> you know, no, no, I mean, you wonder, you wonder why we got two candidates in the, for polit- running for political office that we have. You know, no, it's serious. You know, we got a sociopathic culture on our hands right now. We really do. Serious sociopaths, liars. And so I actually had this 14-year-old boy, you know, and he, we, we were talking, and, and, and I you know, explained to him that the benchmark to get into heaven is perfection. I said, are you perfect? And he said, Absolutely. I said, come on, you, mean you haven't committed just one sin in your life? Nope, I'm a Boy Scout. <laughs> and I was thinking, we need to close all the churches down. We just need to send everybody to the Boy Scouts. They're doing something right there. I mean, wow, this kid's perfect. Well, I said, you at least committed one sin. He goes, what's that? You just lied to me. <laughs> and then I proceeded to show him that, in fact, he was a sinner. I said, have you ever thought about the thoughts that you have? He goes, those count? I said, of course they count. I said, what about the words that come out of your mouth? How about your actions? Are they sometimes selfish? And by the end, he recognized that he, in fact, was a sinner. And you know what I just find really really incredible. This is the good news. The good news is this, is that if I, Frank Ray, place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if I really grasp why he died on the cross, if, 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 if the, through the Holy Spirit and through faith I am able to reach out and I say, Jesus, I need that gift. My sins are washed away. Your sins are washed away. But not only that, It says that Jesus' perfection is placed into your bank account. You are viewed as perfect. So you know what my name is now? St. Frank. 
My wife's not here. <laughs> Seriously. Read Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. To the saints in Ephesus. They're not dead yet. They're very much alive. And they are perfect. So they are perfect because of Jesus' perfection. Not because of their own. So if I were to die right now, if I just died right here on the spot, I'm in heaven. Because I have Jesus' perfection over me. I have Jesus' perfection over me. Now, having said all this, this isn't what Paul's talking about. (laughs) Paul is not talking about, I believe, positional righteousness. The reason why I say that is because it's covered in the helmet of salvation, which we'll look at in a couple of weeks. I think he's talking about another kind of righteousness. You're probably asking, well, what kind of righteousness is Paul talking about? Glad you asked. He's talking about practical righteousness. He's talking about practical holiness. You know, one of the great lies that we got going on today, one of the great lies is, you know, I, yeah, yeah, I'm a believer. I've, I've, I've trusted in Jesus Christ and, you know, but, uh, you know, I don't really go to church that much. I, I really don't read the Bible. I sin a lot. You know, it, 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 it's really not that big of a deal. I don't have to be like Jesus. I mean, come on, who can be like Jesus? I can't tell you how many people I talk to say, that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous to think that you can be anywhere close to Jesus. And you know what I tell people? I say, that's normal Christianity. Jesus is normal, you're not. And you look at me, what? I said, he's normal, you're not. God wants you to be normal. That's in fa- and, and, and I want to prove this point. In fact, one of the great satanic lies is that you can't be like Jesus, that you can't be free. Jesus intends for every single person in this room and out there to be free, not in bondage. In fact, the Apostle John wrote these words. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, Started at verse 1, this. He said this, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. You know? Chuck Swindoll. Skip, you got a picture of him? There he is. Chuck Swindoll, you might be familiar with him. He's very popular 10, 20 years ago, very famous speaker. He was a pastor, author. In fact, he was president of the seminary, one of the seminaries I graduated from, Dallas Theological Seminary. And one time Swindoll was preaching a message about sin. And he said, I want you to know something about sin. Sin is temporary insanity for the believer. Never a way of life. Sin is temporary insanity for the believer. Never, ever a way of life. You know, the apostle Peter, he's even more specific about it. And he wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4 this. Skip, can you put up those verses? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these... He, God, has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate. Now watch this, in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You see what Peter's writing? He's writing to believers here and he says, you know what? You're to be different. You're to be different. 
There is a good difference and there's a bad difference. He says, you're to be different from this world. You're not to live. I'm not to live like this world. You say, well, how does the world live? Well, I do remember very well because I was part of the world. You know what? The world lives for material things. You know, it blows my mind. You ever walk, you know, in people's houses? They got stuff. I always want to ask, what do you do with it now that you got it? Well, I look at it. You getting life from that? You know, it's interesting, you know, my mom's old, my dad died about two years ago. She decided to sell the house to me after just sold it. So it's got three stories, it's got, it's got, they got a lot of stuff. I said, this was interesting, she's 85 now. I said, mom, what are you going to do with this stuff? She goes, I don't want this, I can't say it's PG, but she goes, I don't want this C in my house, I don't want it anymore. I said, then what would you get it for to begin with? She goes, you take it. I said, I don't want it. And I find it very interesting at 85 years old, clarity comes, you know. Clarity really comes as you're, as you're approaching death. And she realized it, it had no meaning whatsoever. But you see, people of this world think it does have meaning, and so they pursue material things. You know what else the people of this world do? They love to indulge the flesh. Oh, I used to love the flesh. Parties, sex, drinking, eating. Woo! Man, bring it on. Right? I mean, it really feels good while you're doing it. The world also loves leisure. You know, people always tell me they're busy. I find that interesting. Because according to the statistics, according to Nielsen, the average person is watching television anywhere from three to five hours a day. How is that busy? We're busy watching the TV. But we just love leisure. We're watching the TV. We're watching movies. We're going to concerts. I mean, we just like Leisure. The people of the world love leisure. The people of the world love to be comfortable. Don't take me out of my comfort zone. I want to be comfort. I want to be comfortable. The world loves success. The world thinks it's important to be something in this world, to be famous or to be powerful. But Peter makes it crystal clear that you know what? If God's gotten a hold of your life, you become born again. Oh, you, you, they cut you and you bleed bib line. And he says, we don't live a carnal life anymore. We do not. We are not sucked into the world. And we are not sucked into the world system. We are no longer wasting our lives on the superfluous and that which is perishing. You know, the writer of the book of Hebrews, he writes these sobering words that brought me to tears, honestly, this week. It says, work at living a holy life. Now watch this, for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. This isn't positional holiness. This is practical holiness. No, look what it says. Live a, in fact, if you read the New American Standard, it says live a sanctified life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. I go, holy mackerel. No, it brought me to my, my knees. Because I more than anything, I want to see God. No, no, I want to see the creator of the universe. I want to see the guy who made everything. I want to see him. And you know what it says? It says, if I'm not moving in holiness and looking like Papa, looking like Jesus, I'm not going to see him. I'm not going to see him because, you see, I was never born again. There are so many people today who are religious No, it brings me to tears because there's a huge difference between religious and regenerate. Religious people go to church. Religious people do Jesus-y things. 
Regenerate people, born again people are transformed on the inside. And they're changing. Their desires are changing. I don't work at being holy. I am holy because I have the Holy Spirit in me. Right? Right? So let me, let me, let me, let me make this announcement. We've got to go to communion. You know, one of the great heresies of today is this. I can have Jesus as my savior, but lordship is optional. You know, I, 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 there was this guy, true story, and uh, I was talking to him. He said, oh, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. I was watching Billy Graham on the television, and when he gave the, you know, the invitation, well, I bowed my head, and I said the sinner's prayer. So I'm good to go. I'm a Christian. I said, uh-huh. I said, are you following him? <laughs> well, you know, you know, I go to church once in a while. I've dropped a few bucks in the plate. You read the Bible? Well, I don't, you know, not really, not, not, not really. I know I should be doing more, but listen to me, he said. He said, you know, I know that when I die, I'm going to be in heaven. Now, I won't have many rewards, but you know what? I'll be shining doorknobs, baby, but at least I'll be in heaven. That's what he said to me. Won't get any rewards, but I'm going to be in heaven shining doorknobs. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. That is a lie from Satan. Let me tell you why. Because it says, and I could quote you, we do not have time. But look at Romans 10, 9. I always give this when I'm doing the Jesus Soda survey. It says this, if you confess, you got that, Skip? Otherwise, you're going to have to trust me on this. Romans 10, 9. If you confess Jesus as Lord, look it up. If you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, it's none of the savior business and then, hey, you know what? It's a second tier up and I'll make him Lord if I'd like to. Jesus says, ding, thanks for playing. You receive Jesus. There it is. You receive Jesus as Lord. And see, when you receive him as Lord, automatically he becomes your savior. You know what? Here, I just want to end with this and then we're going to go to communion because this, this matters. So many people right now are just living defeated lives and in bondage because they never received Jesus as Lord. They just received Jesus as Savior. And Satan's just having a field day with them because, see, they're not truly regenerate and they don't have the Holy Spirit in them. And they're defenseless against Satan. I pray that's not true of you, but if you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you, oh, this is not condemnation. This is about conviction that leads to repentance and it leads to forgiveness and healing. It's awesome. Now, maybe you really are born again, but you haven't understood the breastplate of righteousness. You know, you don't have to live defeated. See, that's a lie. See, if you're really born again, then you have a new nature and you have the Holy Spirit in you, you can say no. See, let, let me end with this. When Satan comes knocking on your door, by the way, he'll come knocking on your door. You know what I say to Satan? I say, hello, Satan. I will not be serving you today. I will not be serving, I want you to do, I will not be serving the world today. I will not be serving my flesh today. Thank you very much. Jesus is my Lord and master and he is he who I am going to serve. I challenge you at the point, at the point of trial and temptation, you say that out loud. You will watch that temptation just drop off. Now, I'm not saying he's not going to come at you one minute later. 
do it again. But it drops. That is what the breastplate of righteousness is. Father, as we go now to communion, I pray that this word would just take root. Because it's a tremendously freeing word. And I just pray it will take root as we take communion in our hearts. And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen. Skip the